From 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR, this is Lake Effect. I'm Audrey Nowakowski. Today, we'll speak with Alderman Michael Murphy about his decision not to seek re-election to the Common Council after more than 30 years, plus hear reactions from his constituents. It's nice to know that somebody in politics cares about your neighborhood. I think every meeting he ever had in my neighborhood, he started saying, I'm just honored to be here. I'm happy to be part of this community. Then we'll speak with the director of the Milwaukee Election Commission to share everything you need to know about voting in the upcoming elections. When you register to vote, you have to prove that you live where you say you live. Every time you vote, you have to prove that you are who you say you are. That's how I like to keep track of proof of residence versus photo ID. Plus, we'll learn about the work the Great Lakes Water Innovation Engine is doing in Wisconsin to maintain environmental health. All that's coming up on Lake Effect, but first, here are today's headlines. This is Lake Effect from 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. I'm Audrey Nowakowski. Thanks for joining us today. Milwaukee Alderman Michael Murphy, who serves the 10th Aldermanic District on the city's west side, announced late last year that he will not be seeking re-election after 35 years in office. He'll be the third longest-serving council member in the city's history after he leaves office in April. Lake Effect's Excret Nunez spoke to residents in Murphy's district about the retirement of their longtime alderman, and we'll hear from Murphy himself about his choice to retire and his plans for the future. Alderman Michael Murphy was first elected to the council in 1989 when he was 27 years old. Before then, he served as an office aide to his predecessor, Brian Burke. In a letter to his constituents, Murphy, who's now 61 years old, said he loves his job and his decision to not run for re-election wasn't an easy one to make. Pat Miller was sad to hear about Murphy's retirement. She's a longtime resident of Martin Drive and one of Murphy's constituents. He's the best alderman in the city of Milwaukee, which is something that I often would tell him when I ask for something and he resolves it like faster than you can blink your eye. And I don't think you get that in America or anywhere now, that sort of responsiveness and dedication that he has. But it's not just even fixing the problem. It is getting back to you to let you know how it is going to be fixed and when it is going to be fixed. Miller says Murphy has been her alderman for all 35 years he's been in office. She first moved to Martin Drive in 1987. Aldermen can serve as powerful connectors between residents and city services, making sure broken streetlights get repaired or damaged sidewalks get rebuilt. Miller says that's what Murphy did for his constituents. Those changes might seem small, but she says they make a difference. Truly, this neighborhood was in a lot of disrepair, and when we started the organization and started noticing specifically what needed to be fixed and asking for help to get it fixed. That is something that empowers people because there are other districts where the aldermans don't help like that. And so you get this feeling of hopelessness. But instead, we got a group of people who believed we can change things because we would constantly see that in a way we were changing things. We would see something wrong, it needed to be fixed, And with help of Michael Murphy or whatever supporting departments, we would get these things modified and changed and fixed. And that gave the people a lot of, I don't want to say power, but a lot of confidence that they 
had control and could make things better too instead of just saying mm, they'll never do anything about that it's that's just the way it is another one of murphy's constituents echoes miller's feelings about the alderman's retirement i was very disappointed to hear that he was not going to be our alderman any longer because i've really respect him and appreciate the work that he does. That's Megan Kennedy. She's lived in Enderus Park for 20 years, but says she didn't reach out to Murphy until a few years ago. She says that when she began to feel unsafe about walking throughout her neighborhood, her neighbors encouraged her to tell Murphy at one of their community meetings. But it was her first time ever reaching out to a politician for help, so she was unsure how things would turn out. I mentioned that there were a few intersections in our neighborhood that did not have any stop signs at all. I'd seen fender benders, I'd seen people speeding through those intersections, and I mentioned that to him, and he said, just please follow up with an email, and I did, and he responded immediately, and he had his people go out and study the intersections, and within probably a month or six weeks, there were stop signs installed in four different intersections, at least in the neighborhood. It's nice to know that somebody in politics cares about your neighborhood. I think every meeting he ever had in my neighborhood, he started saying, I'm just honored to be here. I'm happy to be part of this community. And just had a lot of really positive things to say about the neighborhood and how he wanted the best for us. And that was his job, is to help our community stay and become better. And I just feel like he really worked at that. Kennedy says she hopes Murphy will guide the next alder person to connect with constituents, as well as he did. Now we'll hear Alderman Michael Murphy reflect on his time in office and what's next for him. He begins by explaining why he decided to retire. It was a very difficult decision, one in which um, when you are in public service, it's hard to give it up. And um, for me, um, it came down to that... uh, I think it's an opportunity for some younger people to take advantage of the open seat and give them an opportunity to run for office. And also, um, as I've gotten older, I've decided that maybe I'd like to take a different endeavor of um, some areas where um, personal growth for my own life and family is something I would like to consider. Because uh, public service is... uh, if, if people do it the right way, is all in, encompassing in which um, I dedicated pretty much um, most, if not two-thirds of my professional life and personal life to service of our community. And I would just take a, a, a little bit of a break to focus more on my family and, and some other personal endeavors. What would the next chapter of your life, what could it look like? And will you still be active in the community? Yes, I will. I mean, I... I my parents are immigrants to this country, and one of the things they instilled uh, into all their five children was an obligation to give back to this country. And so all of us, in one way or another, have tried to meet that goal and, and, and objective for our parents. So I, I'm sure I will continue doing some sort of service, uh, whether it's as a volunteer um, in one or other capacity, but I, we plan on staying here. Absolutely. And so you've served on a multitude of committees during your time in office. What project are you most proud of that you got off the ground? Well, you know, in 35 years, I think I've started a lot of projects that I'm really proud of. I think certainly the Housing Trust Fund, which is 
an organization that provides grants and aids to low-income housing and affordable housing. So we've created nearly 2,000 units of permanent supportive housing for people generally who would be living on the streets. And so I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the MK Play initiative, which has raised approximately $4 million in private dollars. And we just completed our 23rd park renovation in the city of Milwaukee. Um, a lot of children in our city don't have the same opportunities of other kids, and playgrounds are an important component of their well-being. The Milwaukee uh, Opiate Response Initiative was an important project I created a number of years ago. You know, we have a terrible problem of opiate and heroin deaths and cocaine deaths, and now fentanyl has had a terrible impact on the community. So I nearly eight years ago created an organization to really work with our fire department social workers to provide assistance to people who have um, had, you know, unfortunately, um, overdoses. And proud to say we're nearly over 100 people now and we have in treatment that, quite honestly, probably would not be alive today. Um, wow. The Milwaukee restaurant uh, uh, or uh, the, where you see your, your grading system, the, I created that program um, to help improve really um, not the marketability of restaurants, but really to improve for food quality. So we hope that when people make a decision going to a restaurant, they look at the grading system as a factor in um, making a decision of staying and eating there, but also it encourages the restaurants to try and keep that grade level. And so they do a better job of keeping it clean and safe for all of us. Um, the Police on Bikes program, you know, I'm proud that that got created many years ago. Um, my efforts just in the district to help local businesses, whether it be on Belide or North Avenue or Center Street, um, working to help um, save the Valley neighborhood when it had terrible flooding in 97 and worked with the Search District as a commissioner to raise $12 million to build in a flood uh, wall to save the Valley from future flooding and then also remove the concrete um, along the Menominee River, which has now really helped spur on greater improvement in water quality, and we see a much a, a bigger and ability of fish to migrate further upstream, and so we see a, a really improvement in that area. Um, and just as a fiscal steward of the city to make sure that we all recognize the importance that, you know, we're not a wealthy city, and that making sure that, you know, we are cognizant of the fact that some people it's very hard to pay taxes, and trying to keep taxes at a level um, that people can stay in, and live in our city. Right. And so I kind of want to look on the other side of things. You know, as you reflect on your nearly 35 years in office, is there anything you wish you would have accomplished or that you wish the Common Council could have accomplished during your time? Yeah, I think, you know, we, I wish we had had better relationship with um, the state government. Be, you know, more recently, we've been able to reach um, a settlement with the state as it relates to an enhanced uh, tax base by drawing down on a sales tax. But, you know, for many years, the city was frozen in terms of its shared revenue. And as a result, we had to continue cutting, cutting, cutting uh, real core services for citizens and relying just on the property tax base as a method of paying for government um, was a no-win situation. And so... Having better relations with the state, you know, it would have been helpful. I mean, the problem is we're a very, you know, bifurcated state. You see the elections, it's always 50-50. And unfortunately, we, we've become, um, it's us versus them and them versus us. And I wish we'd had 
better relationships. It, it would have been helpful for, I think, the state also, because we are their largest city and when their biggest economic engine. But we seem to always have been, you know, the poster boy to beat up. And um, I hope we try and change that dynamics going forward in, in the future years because, you know, as Milwaukee goes, so does the state of Wisconsin. So we need to recognize that. And so I met with a couple of residents in your district to hear their thoughts on your news of not seeking re-election. And something that would come up frequently is that it seems for an older person to stay in that position for so long, like that seems rare. Sometimes seen as a position, maybe someone might stay in for a while and go on to the next higher position. What made you want to continue to be an alderman for so long? It's a great question. I've been asked it a few times. I, You know, I had the greatest job in the world. Um, every day I could go to work and I would be able to make a difference in improving the lives of people. I mean, that's a great opportunity and a great gift. Um, you know, and I would get stopped at the grocery store and, and you know, commonly and people bring issues with me. And I always remember a story where somebody said, brought up an issue that was a federal issue. And uh, I said, you know, listen, I'll be happy to help you, but... It's really an area out of my jurisdiction. It's really with Congress, and you may want to check in with your congressperson. And, and they go, well, no, they're way too busy. That's why I'm talking to you. <laughs> and I think for aldermen, we're the closest to the people. Right. I deal with everything from garbage collection to police services to housing. Um, so I'm at the forefront of helping people every single day. So if you're an actively engaged alderman, you answer your own phone, you talk to citizens, you go door to door, you meet them at their businesses. You see daily what's going on in their lives. And um, and I think, you know, there's an old saying, all politics is local. And you can't be more local than being a, an alderman. Um, but I, you know, I really believe and, you know, it's instilled in me from my mom and dad that public service is something that we have an obligation to give back to this country. I'm the first in my family to be born here. I take that seriously, and I, I hope I fulfilled what their dreams were for me and for, um, and for our, my brothers who all and sister who all either been teaching teachers um, or communicators. So I think um, it's a very honorable job, and I, I encourage people to look at politics as an honorable profession if it's done the right way. Sure. And, um, you know, each district has several neighborhoods with their own unique needs and values, like you were mentioning. How did you connect with and balance serving so many different communities? Yeah, I have 22 distinct neighborhoods in my automatic district and probably the most diverse in uh, gender, age, um, and race. And I think that's where it gets down to is not being in your office, is going out and meeting with people. And I would do a neighborhood walk with just about every single neighborhood all every year and going to those black watch meetings and going to those black parties. Um, and, you know, you have a, I have a very big district in the context of it goes from Highway 100 to 35th Street, from I-94 to 76 in Capitol. So um, each neighborhood had some unique issues, whether it's some of it, um, was crime or some of it was, you know, road repair. So what I tried to do is make sure that I was out in the public on a regular basis hearing people and what their issues were. And just to wrap up, with city elections on the horizon, what's your advice for the next person to become representative of the 10th district? 
be lucky like me to have a wonderful spouse and daughter who supported me because in politics, like I say, it, it can be 20 hours a day. Um, and every weekend you're working if, if you're doing the right way. So my advice is um, uh, to recognize that um, serving in office is a gift and a privilege and that you have an obligation to um, honor that by serving it in a manner in which you recognize um, it's the people's voices that count and, and not your yours. And sometimes it's hard to tone down your own ego, but um, recognizing you know what is best for the community and putting their wishes forward. Will you help show the ropes to the next alderman? If they want it. You know, <laughs> I, I've learned that... Uh, uh, I, I, I'm happy to help in any way I can, and um, it, it, but you know I, I, I don't want to be, be a, one of those people telling them what to do. But uh, if, if somebody reaches out, I'm going to be happy to be there. Right. Well, Alderman Murphy, thank you so much for speaking with me today and for reflecting on your time in office with me. It's been an honor. Alderman Michael Murphy has served the 10th Aldermanic District on Milwaukee's west side since 1989. His tenure will end in April. Pat Miller and Megan Kennedy both live in Murphy's district. They each spoke with Lake Effect's Excret Nunez. On Monday's show, we'll explain just what the Common Council does and how your alderman can serve you. by mail or in person, there are multiple ways for Wisconsinites to cast their votes in this year's local and national elections. Your first opportunity will be the upcoming February 20th primary election. But navigating election rules and deadlines can be tricky, especially with changes to Wisconsin's laws. To get the details, WUWM Eric Von Fellow Nadia Kelly is joined by Milwaukee Election Commission Director Claire Woodall. She shares how to vote in the upcoming elections, including how to register, tips for early voting, and how to find your polling place. I think it's helpful to just talk about when someone would need to do a voter registration, which is if you've never voted in Wisconsin before, or if you've had any change in your name or your address since the last time you voted, then you would need to update your voter registration. And in order to do that, you need to have proof of your current address um, or a proof of residence document. And so you want to bring something with you. It can be on your phone or it can be a paper copy. But if your driver's license or your state ID is updated, you can use that. But if not, then you can use things like a utility bill, a bank statement, a paycheck, anything from a government agency that has your name and address on it. There's a specific set of proof of residence documents that you'd want to definitely go to myvote.wi.gov to review and make sure you have access to one of those when you are going to register. Um, when do you have to be registered to vote by if you want to vote in the spring primary election? So in Wisconsin, you can register all the way up until Election Day. Uh, we are one of the few states that has Election Day registration. So you would want to go to My Vote and look up your polling place based on your new address. You would click Find My Polling Place, um, and then you could go there on Election Day. 
um, or you can go to in person to your clerk's office or any early voting location in the city of Milwaukee in order to do an in-person registration. Um, the deadline has already passed for completing the process online. But then in April, we'll have the presidential primary as well on the ballot. Open registration does return on February 21st. So starting February 21st, you can register online at myvote.wi.gov, or you can mail in a voter registration or do any of the in-person options as well. Could you just tell us what are the most important things to know about specifically voting early in person or with an absentee ballot? Absolutely. So I would say if you are listening to this today and you want to vote with an absentee by mail ballot, today is the day to request your ballot. Um, it's getting very close to the election and we are seeing mail take two to three days even here just within the city of Milwaukee. Um, so you would want to make sure that you go ahead and request that. You can go to myvote.wi.gov. You do have to be registered at your current address to vote by mail right now. Um, if you are not registered at your current address, you can go to any of the city's six early voting sites. Um, if you go to my vote, it has all of the sites listed. The most important thing anytime you're going to vote in person is to make sure you don't forget your photo ID. Wisconsin does require photo ID to vote. So if you're doing the absentee by mail, you have to upload a scan of your ID. And then everyone who votes in person, either at early voting or on election day, will need to have a valid photo ID for voting. Um, so no out-of-state licenses are allowed. You have to have a Wisconsin driver's license or state ID. When you register to vote, you have to prove that you live where you say you live. Every time you vote, you have to prove that you are who you say you are. That's how I like to keep track of proof of residence versus photo ID. Like, I'm just thinking about someone who just moved to Wisconsin and doesn't have maybe a Wisconsin state ID or driver's license. What would they need to bring to vote? Do they need to get a license or a state ID in time for Election Day? Yeah, so if you just moved to Wisconsin, maybe you still have an out-of-state ID, um, you can't use it to vote. And so you could go ahead and register using other documents like we've discussed, like utility bills, bank statements, leases. Um, but you would want to get a compliant ID by Election Day. Otherwise, you might have to cast a provisional ballot. So some compliant IDs that aren't a Wisconsin state ID or driver's license are things like a U.S. passport. Or if you are a college student, um, you can use a college ID so long as it meets the requirements. So at most places like UW-Milwaukee, MATC, the student ID offices issue separate student voter IDs. Um, but if you have just moved here, um, you know, we highly recommend that you go ahead and get connected with the DMV and make an appointment to update your state ID or driver's license. If you go to on election day and you don't have the right ID, you can cast a provisional ballot and then you have until Friday at 4 p.m. to bring your ID once you are able to get it, whether you've lost it or you need to go get an ID from the DMV. You have until 4 p.m. on Friday to bring that to your clerk's office to then have your ballot counted. Oh, that's interesting. So if you are not able to do that, does that mean it just will not count? Correct. So if you don't, if you cast a provisional ballot on Election Day, you're putting your ballot in a it's a blue envelope. Um, and if you don't bring your ID in by Friday at 4 p.m., that envelope just goes into a sealed bag and is never opened. OK, so we talked a little bit about absentee ballots. Um, you recommend that people 
start requesting those now. Is there a deadline for having to mail them in by? Absentee voting, you have to have your ballot in the clerk's office um, by 8 p.m. on election day. It's not a mailing deadline. So in some states, it has to be postmarked by election day, but ours is a strict, we have to have your ballot in hand by February 20th. It's really important for absentee voters to keep in mind that February 19th is President's Day. And so there is no mail on the Monday before. So you wanna give your ballot um, a little bit of extra time due to the postal holiday to make it to our office as well. Okay, I've heard about something called a witness signature. Is that something that is necessary to be able to have that absentee ballot count? Yeah, so when you vote by mail, um, you'll get a set of instructions that tells you how to um, complete the process. And the first step is that you have to find a witness, show them your blank ballot, and then you vote um, maintaining your privacy. And then at the end, you and the witness are going to fill out information on what's called the certificate envelope. So the voter signs certifying that they voted the ballot, they meet all of the requirements, and then a witness signs that they watched you vote and that you are the person who voted the ballot. This can be a family member, it can be a friend, it just has to be a US citizen who is 18 years or older. Um, and that witness will print their name, sign their name, and then provide their complete address. One of the biggest mistakes we see um, with certificate envelopes is that a witness will forget or not write their complete address. Even if you live in the same house as the voter, you still have to rewrite the address on the witness line. Um, so you want to make sure you're paying careful attention when you're filling out that certificate envelope and make sure to read over the letter with the instructions um, that have pictures of what areas are required. All of the required information on your envelope is highlighted yellow. So what if someone lives alone? What would you recommend they do to obtain a witness signature or otherwise cannot access like a family member or friend or um, anything like that? So under Wisconsin law, your ballot can't be counted without a witness signature. So if you live alone, um, we recommend that you maybe reach out to a neighbor, see if you can catch your mail carrier or anyone else who is stopping by your home and have them serve as your witness. Again, they're just watching you vote the ballot, confirming that it was you and that the ballot was blank when you began. Um, and it can be any U.S. citizen who is 18 years or older. If you don't have a witness, you can also bring your ballot before you vote. So don't vote your ballot at home, but you could bring it to any of the early voting locations in the city of Milwaukee, and then our staff can serve as a witness. But it's really important that you wait. Your witness has to see the blank ballot and then witness you actually voting in order to serve as your witness. There's a few different options as far as how to vote. What would you tell people who are considering voting early or sending in an absentee ballot and are considering voting in person? Are there advantages and disadvantages to either one? Sure. So voting early, either at an in-person absentee voting location or what I often re refer to as just early voting or voting by mail, 
um, it's important for a voter to remember that it's an absentee ballot. So what that means is even if you're voting at one of the early voting locations, you are not putting your ballot through a machine when you go there. Instead, you're putting it into an envelope and it's not processed till election day. Now that process is very secure. It's processed by two election workers on election day um, with a great amount of attention to detail documenting everything, but your ballot isn't cast until election day. Um, the benefit is that it's convenient. If something comes up at the last minute, you have already taken care of voting. Um, so you're not tied to that one day of 13 hours to vote. Um, the advantage of voting in person at your polling place is that that is where you are going to vote your ballot in the booth. And then you, the voter, will put your ballot through the machine and the machine's counting your ballot right then and there. If there was any question, if the machine couldn't read the bubbles that you filled in, it would shoot back out and tell you the error message. So the benefit is that the machine, you have peace of mind that your ballot was counted right when you were there on election day. Um, but a lot of voters prefer the convenience of voting ahead of time. Um, and, you know, it's a very secure, very reliable process as well. If someone needed help filling out their ballot for whatever reason, would they be able to receive help? Yes. So at your polling place, um, you have two different options if you need some assistance with your ballot. Every polling place has a express vote machine, which is an accessible voting machine. You can increase the font. You can contrast the font if you're having trouble, if you forget your reading glasses at home. And it's still a purely private personal voting experience. Um, voters who are blind, it also has a braille keypad and headphones that you can wear to follow the prompts. So that's called the express vote machine. And again, it's at every single polling place if you need help um, filling out your ballot. Otherwise, you can ask an election worker. Any election worker will maintain your privacy um, and be happy to help you fill out a ballot if you have any questions. And then they would sign as your assistant on the ballot. Are there any parts of the voting process that people are often confused about? It's safe to say that election law is not simple in Wisconsin. Um, we oftentimes see voters thinking that their ID, for instance, has to have their current address in order to vote. Um, you don't have to vote from the address that's on your ID. So if you have had a change in address, you just need to bring additional documentation like a Wee Energies bill, a cell phone bill, a bank statement to prove that you live where you say you live. And you don't need to be paying to get a new license or ID every time you have an address change. Um, and if you're having any trouble navigating what to bring with you on election day, please, please, please give us a call. Um, you can call us at 414-286-VOTE-8683. We want to make sure that you feel confident when you go out to vote, that you have everything you need and that it won't be an inconvenient experience. Are there any additional tips or advice you would want to um, give as people are preparing for the upcoming elections? Yeah, I think anyone who's preparing for the upcoming elections, especially at the start of 2024, um, really familiarize yourself with the myvote.wi.gov website. You can look up polling places, early voting hours, sample ballots. You can make address changes when it's open registration. You can request absentee ballots. Um, you can see where your ballot is in transit. So it's a tremendous resource and it will really help you make your voting plan for all four elections this year.
Claire Woodall is the Milwaukee Election Commission Director. She spoke to WUWM Eric Von Fellow, Nadia Kelly. You can find all of the information that she shared and more in our voter guide at wuwm.com. While you're there, fill out our election survey. It's how you can have a say in our 2024 election coverage. You can find a link online, and what you tell us will help inform the stories that you hear on Lake Effect and WUWM. Later in the show, we'll explore the popularity of fish fries in Wisconsin and tell you some of the best spots for a Friday fish fry. But first, we'll tell you about a new effort to keep Wisconsin waters clean. That's coming up on Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. listening to Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM. I'm Audrey Nowakowski. You may have heard some recent reporting on WUWM about the National Science Foundation choosing a multi-state coalition in the Great Lakes region. It's called the Water Innovation Engine, and their goals include creating cleaner lakes, more jobs, and more training. It's all part of a multi-million dollar effort also called Great Lakes Renew. It has key partners here in Milwaukee and elsewhere in Wisconsin. But the lead organization is in Chicago at Current Innovation. Executive Director Elena Harkness speaks with WUWM's Chuck Kornbach about the work that they're doing. Current is a Chicago-based water innovation hub, and we were founded in 2016 with our three-part mission, help grow an inclusive blue economy here in our region, accelerate innovation, and solve pressing water challenges. So that's our mission today, and it ties perfectly in to the mission of the National Science Foundation Great Lakes Water Innovation Engine, because it's all about bringing the best of our region's research and development capabilities together with entrepreneurs and investors that want to help bring those technologies to market, and the industry partners that you know have the know-how and utility partners that have the know-how to do that, Uh, as well as thinking about the workforce development and STEM education programs that need to be in place to make sure that this blue economy benefits all the people and places in the Great Lakes region. And you had to apply for this money, as did many coalitions, uh, many that weren't chosen. This was a competitive application, is that right? That's right, it was. Um, There were more than 700 concept submissions, and then we were one of uh, 10 awardees nationally from the 188 invited proposals. So very competitive, and we're thrilled to be among the inaugural regional innovation engines. So talk a little bit more, if you would, about your plans for reducing pollution in the Great Lakes, including, of course, our shared resource of Lake Michigan. Apparently has to do a lot with wastewater treatment. Is that right? That's right. So Great Lakes Renew... Our mission and goal is simply to turn waste into wealth in our region. So we waste too much of our water, and we also waste too much of the very valuable resource material that is carried along with our wastewater. And I think uh, this is not necessarily something that's on the radar for many people, but wastewater contains lots of valuable uh, materials, including 
nutrients, including critical uh, minerals and materials like lithium, cobalt, nickel, things that we use to make other high value products, things like semiconductors, right, that are the focus of uh, the CHIPS Act that funded the regional innovation engines. So our goal here is really to leverage the Great Lakes singular position as the source of so much of the world's freshwater, but also this hub of innovation that can power the kinds of technologies that do really advanced things like selectively separate those high value materials from our water and wastewater so that we're not wasting a single drop of our water or a single element that is carried in it. That's really the goal. Can you harvest the valuable byproducts, if you will, from our waste economically? Uh, yes, that's the idea. So uh, nutrients and critical minerals in particular, both of those are things that we very frequently are importing from abroad. So uh, Great Lakes Renew, the technologies and processes that we aim to develop through this coalition um, should help secure the domestic supply chain for some of those really high value add products. Um, it'll also just help us better manage our water and energy footprint here in the Great Lakes region. So we're really, this is an engine that we like to say is built in the Great Lakes, but really made for the world to address the world's water and wastewater challenges. So you've got partners in three states, Ohio, Illinois, and Wisconsin. We uh, have a slight uh, bent to want to talk about the Wisconsin partners, of course. Uh, they include Marquette University and UW-Milwaukee. Uh, WUWM is part of UWM. Talk a little bit about those researchers' uh, efforts uh, in Milwaukee. Great. Well, just first, a quick point of clarification. Our partners in Great Lakes Renew actually span six states in the Great Lakes. Really, it's Minnesota, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, Wisconsin, and Illinois are the six. In our initial two years, we have a region of service that focuses on Illinois, Ohio, and Wisconsin. And we're really grateful to have this opportunity to strengthen existing relationships with our partners in Wisconsin. The university leadership in particular has been really critical to renew. Um, Chien Liao and Dan Zittimer, Professor uh, Liao from UW-Milwaukee and Professor Zittimer from Marquette, um, they have been co-leading another National Science Foundation center called the IUCRC, um, and it's the technical name is the WEP, the Water Equipment and Policy Center. This is another multi-year center project. Again, it's funded by the NSF, and it has some similar goals to renew in that it's trying to help really accelerate the development of new sensors and devices, uh, novel materials for managing our water and wastewater, but they're also thinking about the systems and water policies that will help us think about how to manage all of this better and with a greater economic impact. So we're really fortunate to have such a strong Wisconsin R&D lead and also an R&D lead that's thinking a lot about how we translate this innovation to practice. Um, that's really important for us. Yeah, going from not just research lab work, which is important, but field uh, practicality. Yes. So one of our uh, uh, startup companies that's growing quickly, uh, Rapid Radicals, that spun out of Marquette University. Uh, and their uh, CEO, Paige Peters, is piloting new ways to do conventional wastewater treatment, but at different scales. It's really exciting technology, and Rapid Radicals has been an important partner in this work. We also have um, bigger industry partners, like A.O. Smith is a great example, a Wisconsin-based water treatment and engineering uh, company that you know, is able to help us think about how industry can really drive and inform the R&D efforts, uh, not only in Wisconsin, but across our whole six-state partnership. That's been really important. We have other 
companies like Century Equipment out of Oconomowoc. We also have utilities engaged. Uh, and in Wisconsin, we've got New Water, Green Bay Metropolitan Sewage. Uh, that's really important because when we talk about the National Science Foundation's goal of this program, that use-inspired research, our end users are both industry and utilities in this water and wastewater space. So we really need to understand the needs of both types of end users to make sure that our R&D agenda is really well-informed. So one aim, of course, is to clean up the Great Lakes. Another part of this coalition's uh, work is to prepare more workers uh, for these uh, jobs and uh, research positions and so on. Uh, talk about the importance of, like, the Wisconsin Regional Training Partnership, which is part of this coalition. Talk about the importance of uh, schooling and training workers for tomorrow. Yes, this is one of, I think, I don't want to pick a pillar. All three pillars of the NSF program are really important, but thinking about how to broadly explain the tremendous opportunity in the blue economy uh, to the next generation and the current generation workforce in our region it's just a tremendously important part of this. I'm very proud of the work we've actually done here in Illinois to launch the first statewide blueprint called Upstream Illinois that actually lays out all of the opportunities to build career pathways in this blue economy sector, sort of super sector. We're aiming to do the same thing with our partners across the Great Lakes Renew uh, footprint. And we're so lucky to have partners like uh, WRTP Big Step in Wisconsin that are nationally recognized workforce development leaders that have thought about what it means you know, to bring employers to the table, to develop robust sector partnerships, and to actually make sure that we have strong career pathways, we say from K to gray in Great Lakes Renew. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for, you know, your child in school age can get excited about the opportunity to work in water all the way up through incumbent workers that are looking for a career change and might be able to help to fill you know, a utility workforce that is uh, facing a very big retirement cliff. Um, so we have huge opportunities to diversify the water workforce and to build robust economic opportunities across the region. And our, our partners at WRTP Big Step are, are critical parts of that coalition. Yeah, I heard DEI commitments were pretty important to the uh, selection of the regional engines. Is that fair to say? Absolutely, it is. Uh, when you think about the water workforce today, uh, it really lacks diversity. And that's whether you're talking about, um, you know, the sort of labor side of the workforce or engineers, uh, we have a huge opportunity to develop these pipelines and be intentional about creating pathways that reach into neighborhoods that are traditionally underrepresented and to demographics that are underrepresented in these careers. So we really want to make sure that all of the, when we say waste into wealth, we want to make sure that the wealth that's generated by this new blue economy goes to the people and places in our region that need them most. And that takes you know, really intentional uh, planning and outreach uh, and an effort to meet people where they are. It's my understanding that this is a two-year guarantee with the option for up to 10 years of funding. What are the measurements uh, that are going to go on to this to make sure that this first two-year effort is successful, that it's doing what it's promised to do? Yeah. So this is a cooperative agreement with the National Science Foundation, which means that, as you said, we have up to two years of funding that are pretty well um, established for us. And we have very clear benchmarks we're trying to meet. 
This first year is about establishing and solidifying the partnerships in our engine, but we're also going to be jumping straight into developing training programs, right? We were just talking about workforce development. So after two years, our goal is to have 500 people that have been trained for jobs in the blue economy, a thousand youth across our region that are engaged in STEM programs that are leading into blue economy career pathways. We'll be doing a lot of very important work to knit together testbed spaces across our region uh, in Chicago, in Cleveland, and in Wisconsin. That's going to be really important for us because we need places to test technologies in the real world, and we'll be uh, trying to really uh, shore up and build up capacity to do that. The technical goals of uh, Great Lakes Renew really are focused on selective separation technologies, and that's figuring out ways to more efficiently and effectively extract high value materials and also contaminants out of our water and wastewater. So all of the technical goals and what what National Science Foundation calls use-inspired R&D goals of the first two year are around those very specific selective separation challenges. And it spans everything from breakthroughs in new materials to actually thinking about how artificial intelligence and predictive analytics can help us better pinpoint where and how to deploy these technologies. It's a really exciting bundle of things. Again, building on the research strengths in Wisconsin, but also across our broader region of service. So we're really excited about that. And importantly, we'll be raising more funding. So the NSF's uh, $15 million investment we view as a down payment on what this coalition can do. We have industry partners and research partners that are also contributing. We will be raising funding to try to you know, double or triple the National Science Foundation's investment so that we can really accomplish the broad, ambitious vision of Great Lakes Renew. Because we're in 2024, a presidential election year, I do need to ask, there was a Washington Post article uh, when the regional engines were announced that sort of suggested battleground states, Wisconsin being one, uh, had a leg up on the funding. Uh, Is that fair at all to say or unfair? You know, I think the goal with the National Science Foundation's Regional Innovation Engines Program, this is the biggest investment the National Science Foundation has made. And I think for a long time, the goal of this program has been to spur technology and innovation in places across the country that have not been seen as your traditional innovation hub. So it's not, you know, Silicon Valley. It's not Kendall Square. This has intentionally been about uh, lifting up and amplifying the existing pockets of really, you know, influential and exciting innovation in the middle of the country and around around the country. So, you know, their their tagline for this has been demonstrating an enduring commitment to creating opportunity everywhere and enabling innovation anywhere. And I think that's really the spirit of the engines program. The Great Lakes Renew Coalition, it does span these six states and we're so fortunate to have three states in our initial region of service that represent bipartisan support. That's critical and we think that, you know, Great Lakes Water managing Great Lakes Water is a critical national security and economic development issue that should be a consensus priority. So this is an opportunity to demonstrate that and really lift up the potential and power we have here in the Great Lakes region to do that bipartisan investment in innovation and economic opportunity. Elena Harkness is the executive director at Current Innovation in Chicago. She spoke with WUWM's Chuck Kornbach, and you can learn more about this work at WUWM.com. We'll take one more break, and when we come back, we'll talk about one of Wisconsin's great traditions, the Friday Night Fish Fry. 
Keep listening to Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. This is Like Effect on 89.7 WUWM. I'm Audrey Nowakowski. In Wisconsin, fish fries are popular all year round. But with Lent starting next week, beer halls and pubs will be full on Friday evenings with people looking to enjoy this Wisconsin tradition. If you're looking for a few places to check out for a fish fry, Milwaukee Magazine's Ann Christensen has these recommendations. So what's one or two of the best fish fry places you recommend? Well, um, one of the classic places for me is this beer bar in Oak Creek called Irv's Mug. And they just do a fantastic job with their fish fry. Um, And to me, it's really classic because you can get the potato pancakes and the applesauce and the marble rye bread, along with your fried fish, um, your tartar sauce, your fresh tartar sauce. That to me is is just a classic fish fry. you know, a lot of people ask me, well, where do I, where can I get perch? I really want a perch fry. That's a very Milwaukee type of thing, you know? And one of the places that I've found that has a really great, um, like if this is panko breaded perch is Tess. It's, a, it's basically, a, it's a place you may not think about for fish fries. Um, they're, they're known for their kind of American, new American style cuisine on the East side, but they do a really great panko breaded perch and uh, it comes with an Asian-inspired coleslaw. It's a little bit different. So they kind of mix it up and they kind of modernize it a little bit, which I like. And, um, you know, cause I think, you know there's so much history to fish fries but there's definitely a place to bring in some more um, different types of ethnicities. You know, less of an old world take on it more of a new world take on it which I love seeing and Tess has that kind of take. Ann Christensen writes about food for Milwaukee Magazine. And that's Lake Effect for today. I'm Audrey Nowakowski. Joy Powers, Sam Woods, and Excret Nunez join me in producing Lake Effect each week with help from Robert Larry. Becky Mortensen is our executive producer. We also heard from Emily Files, Lena Tran, Nadia Kelly, and Chuck Kornbach from the WUWM news team this week. Jason Reavy is our studio engineer. Michelle Maternowski is our digital manager. Valeria Navarra-Viegas is our digital editor. Trapper Shep wrote our theme music. If you've missed any of Lake Effect this week, you can find all of our conversations at wuwm.com. If you'd like to take the show on the go, simply download the Lake Effect podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks so much for joining us today, right here on listener-supported 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. NPR.